Let me get to the second point. The true measure of holiness. Now, those were warnings that Paul gave about overestimating. And here's what we do when we also... Sometimes people, if they don't... If they, when they're thinking everybody's supposed to be equal, the fellow with the two tares, he thought he was at a disadvantage. Well, I only got two. I can't afford to invest these because I've only got two. If I lose these, it's, they're, they're gone. Sometimes we have a low self-image of ourselves because we compare ourselves with somebody that has great things, great education, great wealth, great opportunities and all that. But we look at ourselves and say, well, you know, I'm just I'm a poor boy. I'm the least of my family. I'm a David. I'm a Saul. You see, but God gives gifts according to his own good pleasure. Now, the true measure of holiness is in the rest of this chapter. The true measure of our holiness is marked by how we respond to God's gifts, as you have seen the example of that, and how we respond to God's grace and faith. He gives us things according to his grace, but he even gives us faith in order to receive them. He has given every man a measure of faith, but he may have given you more faith than me. Now, verse 6, part B, that I wanted to bring out. I'll read part A and part B. Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So our, our gifts are different depending on the measure of grace God has given us. Whether, now he's starting to talk about these gifts. Now what Paul is using is he's using gifts in the church because he's speaking concerning church. But anything you hear about church life is also can be applied in the world. All you just need to do is substitute a different job there. Whether prophecy or newspaper carrier or construction worker, let us work or prophesy according to the proportion of faith that God has given us. What God has given you is he's given you the grace, the gift, the talent, and then the faith and you need to exercise that faith in order to achieve what God wants you to achieve. Not your achievements, God's achievement. Because it comes through His grace and, and His faith. All you're doing is taking the opportunity to exercise that faith. All right, now follow me and don't get sleepy yet. All right, well, so what we're talking about now here is works. We're talking about fruit now. The different kind of fruit. Though God gives us all these things, we're still held accountable for how we use these gifts. So if we have the gift of prophecy, that's preaching, the gift of gab, some people call it, then let us prophesy or preach according to the proportion of faith. I don't know. There's some preachers better than other preachers, seems like. Some preachers are more powerful than other preachers. 
I'm no T.D. Jakes. Can't even compare with him. In fact, what I've been telling you is I shouldn't compare myself with him. Not that I shouldn't watch him and learn. The fellow with the two talents could have watched the fellow with the five talents and said, where'd you put that investment at? I think I'm going to invest there too. Nothing wrong with learning from somebody who's got a handle on something. That's another virtue of a Christian. They're willing to learn. We may get into that here in a minute in one of these verses. But let him prophesy according to the proportion of faith. That is, give it all. Put your faith in it, in your job. Verse 7, or ministry. Now, I always thought prophesying was ministry, but a ministry means to distribute things too. We can distribute the word, so that is a ministry, but there's many ministries. There's music ministry. There's singing ministry. There's, uh, you know, all kinds of ministries. It says, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. To wait on something means to be wholly given to it. If God has called you to be a minister or a teacher, what he's saying is you should be wholly involved in that. Not some side issue. Now I like Jimmy and them goes out and hunts gold and man, I'm impressed. He showed me all his gold. But unless that's his ministry, right now we've asked him to drive that truck so he should be wholly given to driving that van. And if he gets some time to go find gold, that's great. But his main Ministry is what God has given him to do. God, the gift that you have is the gold. So yeah, you take advantage of that. You work and you pan your gold and you get the reward for it. That's okay. But what God has called you to do, and this is where you get a calling. You should be called into something. You should feel that God wants you to do this. And if you don't understand God's call then at least listen to the pastor. If I asked you to do something and God didn't wake you up in the middle of the night and slap you with a bolt of lightning, then maybe you ought to give some, some account to me. If God says, he don't want you doing it, then I'll understand. I'm not going to go against God. Let us wait on it or give ourselves to that. Verse 8, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. You know, I believe exhortation is a very important thing. Now, we preachers do exhort people. But exhort somebody is to pretty much to counsel somebody. To remind somebody that they need to do something. My wife always exhorts me to take my medicine in the morning. Now, I know I'm supposed to take my medicine. I have a prescription that says take it at these times and take this dose. But sometimes I forget. And it's good to have somebody that will exhort me and say, Tom, did you take your medicine? Do you know what the church is supposed to be doing? It's not supposed to be the preacher always trying to remind you of what you need to be doing. We ought to be reminding each other. When we see somebody do something wrong, I'm not talking about judging and nitpicking. 
But we ought to remind somebody in a special way. See, this is a calling to exhort somebody to do something that they're supposed to be doing. And he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Giving is a calling. Some people are called to give. It may not necessarily be money, but giving is a call. And when we do it, it should be done with simplicity. Don't get it complicated. What do you mean by complicated? Well, I need three copies. I need one cent to the IRS. I need one cent over here and all that. You know, and I want you to write me out a ten-page result of all, all the stuff that you gave me and, and stuff like that. Or give me the change back in cash because I don't want the government to know I got this thing. You know, it means to make things complicated. The people that gave at the, at the temple, they were throwing their stuff in. They were blowing their horns. They were making a lot of noise about what they were doing. They were bragging about what they were doing. This is not what God wants. If God has called you to give, give secretly so that God will reward openly. That's another thing that's different about someone with true holiness. He that ruleth, that is leadership, should do it with diligence, not half-hearted, but they should put their whole heart into it. I know some of you probably think that, you know, this church used to be fun, but Tom's making it a job now. Well, it is a job. It's a business. And we must be about the Father's business. He didn't call us just sit here to have a good time. That's what heaven is for. Now's the time to work. We need to work. That's why we're called. The reason God gives you these gifts is so that you can use them for God's glory and not your glory. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without dissimulation. That means let it to be sincere and honest. Let it be not some kind of superficial thing, but let it be backed up with works. If you say you love somebody, you ought to be able to show that love through works. Don't just tell somebody, well, I love you. There's a lot of men do that to young ladies out there. I love you, honey. I like the song Third Rate Romance. There's a part that says, I'll even tell you that I love you if you want me to. In order to get his way. But love should be genuine. Just as our holiness should be genuine. It says that to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. That means to hate evil. But it doesn't mean to hate those that do evil. We don't hate a homosexual. We love homosexuals. I know we're accused of hating. We're accused of this evil, but our works should prove that we're not that way. We don't hate the drunkard or the prostitute or the drug addict. We love them, and the very reason for our existence is to help these people. But we can't condone what they're doing. We have to hate the sin but love the sinner. Verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Boy, this is a difficult one. You want to be holy? Get a hold of this. 
kindly affection. You know the word kind comes from the word kindred or kin. And it has to do with how you treat those that are close to you. You know, my son come to me needing something, I help him out. There's times I'll tell my wife, I said, boy, he needs to manage his money better. Now, I'm not saying which son. Probably Tom, because I could borrow money from him, actually. He's doing better than I am. But Joe, he'll ask sometimes. And he does have needs. I'm not going to let him go without. And neither would I let you go without. Kindred. My love or affection for somebody that I consider to be my blood relative. But here's where true wholeness comes in. It's when you can do it to a stranger. When you can give the same kind of love to somebody you don't know. Do you know why I have a road rage problem? It's because I can love my relatives and those that I know, but those that I don't know, I can be mean. I can be outright. Well, I can't say that here. You see, what it is, what road rage is, is, is it's a person that is impatient or intolerant with somebody else. There's been times I've been riding on somebody's bumper saying, hurry up, I'm running late for work. And then I look up there in front of the car and it's my boss. And I start backing off. Oh, that's the boss. See, when you know somebody, everything's different. We're nice to people we know. But we walk up to a cashier that, that messed up on your change and we're going to give them the right act. Our waitress today at Cracker Barrel was uh, left a lot to be desired. I tipped her anyway. I told Deb she may have had some special woman issues. She said, no, she's in her 60s. I said, well, maybe she's got some grandkids she's frustrated about. Who knows, maybe she's taking care of her mom. Maybe she had all this stuff on her mind. If it had been my sister, I'd give her a break. Why can't I give this woman a break? Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Of course we can love our brothers. This is not just talking about just the folks in the church. He's saying give the same kind of love that you give your brothers and your sisters in blood and in the church to those on the outside and to those in the church. Sometimes we can't even be good, nice to our own people in the church. Sometimes our own family we can't be nice to. We just have to pray. <laughs> Verse 11. That we should not be slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We serve the Lord in everything we do. We think that it's only when we go to church we've got to do this. No, every moment of your life... As I said, your job is a gift from God. God gave that to you for a purpose. And you serve God in it. Now, we should not be slothful. 
We should not cheat. We should not, you know, you can tell a lot about a person. Uh, even I heard one message where a guy was trying to tell people the, how to pick out a woman or a man. And, it, and he told the women that they want to get a man that has cre got credible integrity. He's honest. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't lie. He doesn't over-promise things, but he is fervent. That means he does things with the right spirit. He's got his heart in it. Give your boss the eight hours work for the eight hours pay. Don't cheat him. Don't be slothful. That means to be lazy. Work hard. Because when people see you... You know, I think a lot of folks has bad impressions of Christians because of the way they work on the job. And they look and say, well, so-and-so, oh, John, he's a Christian there, and Fred's a big sinner. But you know, Fred works harder than John does. Fred's out here working all the time, and, and John is goofing off all the time. What do you think that witness is saying about Christians? To be holy means you're set apart for a service. The actions that God has caused you to do through His gifts ought to make your works glorify God. The Bible says let others see your good works and glorify God. Not as I wash, but as a consistent way of living. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing instant in prayer. Boy, see, sometimes we get ourselves in a jam, church. Sometimes we get into some of the worst situations in life, and we wonder, what did I do to deserve this? Well, what did you do to deserve the blessing you got? You see, sometimes these tribulations is a gift of God, too. It's not that God's going to cause bad things to happen to you. But God has given you an opportunity with everything that happens to you, whether it be good or bad, to show the glory of God in the way you handle that problem. So we should sh always manifest a spirit that we have hope, no matter what is going wrong. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We need to see that even though we can't understand what's going on in our life, God is still in control. And this situation that we're in right now can be used to glorify God. Patient in tribulation. God hasn't promised that we will not have any tribulation. In fact, he said all that are live godly will have tribulation. Sometimes I've sat there and wondered why everybody's always picking on Joanne. And I'm wondering, is she a troublemaker? Does she go around stirring trouble up? I look at her, I know the woman she asked for prayer tonight has been doing things that would have made me mad. But what's she doing? Praying for She's actually submitting to things that I'm like, I don't think I would have done that. What I'm seeing here 
is a holy behavior in the midst of the worst time. You know, if you really want to prove your faith and love to God, when you can do it in the worst trial of all, that's when God said you're coming forth like gold. That's why God says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, see, everything Job had was a gift from God. Job understood that. The Lord give it, and the Lord take it away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an attitude. Not the way we should be thinking, but it's a sober way of thinking. It's the way God would want us to think. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. What it means is, if you can hang on there, there's going to be a daylight coming. And they say the darkest hour is right before the dawn. So sometimes the worse it gets, you ought to say, man, daylight's coming. Continuing, instant in prayer. There's what will get you through it, prayer. Now, we can't get any more faith than God's given us. God gives us all a measure of faith. He gives us all a measure of grace. But you know, prayer can get that extra measure. That's why we pray. Sometimes God says, well, what I give you is good enough for you. That'll get you by. My grace is sufficient. Verse 13 Distributing to the necessity of the saints and giving the hospitality. This means that we should be helping one another out and we should uh, give to the work of the ministry. That's what he's talking about, to the work of the church. During this time, the main thing that the church used to spend their money on was feeding people. They didn't have welfare and Social Security back then or food stamps or anything else. People laid on the street and died. And one of the things that God put it on the hearts of the people is to go out and help those people that could not help themselves, especially widows. These were widows that maybe at one time lived in a wealthy home with their husband, their husband might have died, and then somebody else got their property and they didn't get nothing but the street. God wants us to go out and help people like that. Romans 12, 14, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Well, I'm sure, Joanne, you should have, could have cursed somebody today. But you could also bless them. See, you've got two choices. This is the opportunity. You've got an opportunity. This is a gift from God that we, we, we need to look at. Even if it's bad, it's still an opportunity. And an opportunity is a gift. It's not that God gives you the, tr the trial, but He gives you the opportunity to show your holiness, to show what separates you from the rest of them. This is what the world is in need of. They're looking for a church that will give them more than eyewash. It's hard. We need people to exhort us and remind us sometimes when we go through these trials. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and Weep with them that weep. Now, I've seen people, somebody get a, you know, a $5,000 income tax return, and I'm like, boy, I wish I got a $5,000 income tax return. I had to pay $300. Now, what the Bible's telling me I ought to do is 
When somebody, if Jimmy comes, this coming, I believe you are going to be coming and saying, I got a, a refund. <laughs> then I'm going to rejoice with you. And if something sad happens in your life, I'm not going to walk away. I want to weep with you. I want to feel your sorrow like I want to feel your joy. I want to share it with you. That's what a church is for. You know, that's, that alone would make people desire to come into church, but what happens when they come into church is condemnation, finger-pointing, eye-wash, and everything else that will run people off as fast as they can come in. If we would just rejoice with them in good times and weep with them in bad times, show compassion with them, show empathy with them, because we've all had times where we rejoiced and we all had times when we are sorrow. Don't get envious of somebody else's blessing. The way I look at it, in the military, we had to stand in line in a chow line. We stood in line for everything. And I was never at the front of the line. But I knew there was going to be enough food by the time I got up there. I knew my... Air Force was going to take care of me. So I just waited my turn. God will bless you if you're patient with Him. So rejoice with those that's getting theirs now. And weep with those that's not. And when yours comes, when your ship comes in, maybe somebody will rejoice with you. And I appreciate you all rejoicing with me on our 40th anniversary. And I guess you would appreciate me hurrying up here. So I'm going to go try to get into it. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Now, in other words, we ought to be thinking of each other the same way. There might be somebody, Savannah might just love me. I might just despise her. But never tell her that. I do love you. <laughs> but we should be of the same mind. What it's saying is, I ought to be thinking as much about you as I think about me. I ought to be as concerned about your well-being as I am about mine. And I can guarantee you that I've stayed up late at night worrying about mine. But to be honest with you, I've stayed up late at night worrying about some of you too. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. In other words, sometimes we do want to give more abundant honor to some people. We shouldn't. Now, I had to ask myself. I come down here from my cabin up there. We were on our honeymoon, our first honeymoon. Took us 40 years to get there. But in the middle of it, I get a call from some guy says, I'm wanting to come and visit your church. I'm looking for a new church. And I've got a wife and I've got a, uh, a son and, and I have a know how to play the piano, and I've been a minister of music for 20 years, and I'm like, my goodness, there's the answer to my prayer. I've been wanting somebody to play that piano. But somebody knows what they're actually doing? That would be great. So I come down here, I call Joe, you know, I said, Joe, you can have a movie, you can cancel, whatever you want to do. I said, no, we got somebody coming. Now the question is, 
If some average person called and said, I'm considering your church, would I have come down for them? And I had to come to the conclusion I would have been here for just anybody. <laughs> we need saints that bad. <laughs> yes, I would have. But it is exciting to know that somebody might come. But what I found out, one more person making saying they're going to do something, but don't. I think what happens, that fellow was already here, because I remember his name, and I remember oh, some details about it. I think he's already been here, and he just realized it. And he knows that since, I mean, he can't be just moving into Lenore City eight months ago and be just moving into Lenore City today, too. So I believe he realized, once he realized where this place was at, he realized that he was a liar. And I did too. Now, what kind of witness is that? Now, I would have to repent if I heard him calling. He said his car broke down or he got T-boned or something down here. But anyway, I'll move on. Be of the same mind. Mind not high things. In other words, people that's important and all that, we should all look at everybody the same. Not equal. Again, we're not all equal. But we still should treat everybody with the same level of respect. That's what that's saying. But condescend to men of low estate. Now, you know what that means? Condescend to men of low estates? Lower yourself. See, I believe I could preach to folks, college-educated people, at least people you know, on the same level of education as I am. That's what I'm trying to do on the Internet. Don't get a lot of folks listening to me. But some of you, I'm like, you know, I wouldn't have to use big words with you folks. I could talk plain language. I could say ain't. Yonk to. Yeah. Jeet. I could do all that. I could condescend. I could get down on somebody's level, uh, you know, and a preacher should. But I have to consider, you're not just the only audience. <laughs> but if I'm dealing with somebody in a search for truth, believe me, God puts me right on their level. Or at least I hope he does. When you're in Rome, you're like a Roman. When you're to the Jew, you're like a Jew. Paul does all things so he might win a few. But the whole point, some, some smart people, they get offended if you condescend. Well, what's that condescending attitude? You treat me like I don't know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had somebody jump on you and say you were treating them like an idiot? Because you were down too low on their level? Yeah, Salia says, Sean. <laughs> That's all right. Deb come out right out the other day and said, I didn't know nothing. <laughs> she didn't intend to say it that way, but it was something about what she was talking about. She was trying to get somebody help, and, and I'm like, well, what about me? And she said, well, you don't know nothing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> I forget what it was. Whatever it is, I don't know. <laughs> Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, 
And be not wise in your own conceit. That means don't get conceited and puffed up. Always stay humble before people. Now, folks, our problem sometimes, somebody comes in wearing a nice flashy suit and all that. They look like they come right out of the United Pentecostal Church. I have a feeling we're like, ooh, I don't want to get too close to them. They might smell cigarettes on me. Or everybody treat them like they're a polecat or something. Same thing works the other way. There's people sometimes, uh, bankers, lawyers, and they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't, wouldn't know how to go, get by with a lawyer. Sometimes we need to lift ourselves up. We need to be on their level. That don't mean we put on our front, put on our eye wash, and try to be somebody we're not. It's like Papa says, I am what I am and that's all I am. We're never going to change who we are because that's what God made. But we can be better people. We can improve our own relation with others by making the right choices. I better move on because I know you're going to... Recompense to no man evil for evil. Well, that sounds like that should be equal in the world's way of saying You do it to me, I'll do it to you. Or is it do unto others before they have a chance to do it unto you? No. We need to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. doesn't matter how they treat you. What matters, you're not accountable for the way somebody else treats you. In fact, I tell people it's none of your business what other people think of you. That's their business to, about what they think. Don't try to tell them what to think. It's your business what you think of them and what you do to them. You're accountable to God for the way you handle these problems we have all the time. We have so much drama in our lives because it's always tit for tat. When people, a man and woman is getting a divorce, one of the first things I tell them is, man, settle quickly. The Bible says settle with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him. Because things are going to get worse. Well, I'll pay him back. I'll order 900 pizzas and have it delivered to his house. <laughs> In fact, they write a book on nasty things you can do to people. I don't recommend anybody in this church get it. Because that's contrary to everything I'm saying here. What I'm saying is don't return evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men. Let people see your integrity. You're, too, you're not going to stoop to that level of action. You're a king's son and daughter. You're expected to have better behavior. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible. I like it when the God asks you, is it possible? It's possible with him, but not possible with us. If it be possible, as much as lies within you, or life in you, live peaceably with all men. And if you notice the scripture that people says, follow holiness without which no man will see the Lord. They never read what goes on to it before that. It says, 
to have follow peace with all men too, basically. To follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God. It didn't say when you follow after something, don't mean you caught it, does it? It means you should pursue it. It should be a goal. It should be a desire for you to be at peace with everybody, if possible. God realizes that some people are so wicked, they're so much a heathen, that it's just simply impossible to get along with them. But we still should not return evil for evil. We should try our best to have peace and be peacemakers. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Here's another gift from God. It's not your job to get vengeance. But rather, give place unto wrath. In other words, this is where I'm going to stand in the position of vengeance. I'm going to, I'm going to take my wrath out on somebody. You know how sometimes we have somebody stand in place for healing? Somebody else steps into their place. What that's saying is let the Lord step into your place. You have a right to take wrath out on somebody that's done your own. But what he's saying is submit to God. Let him take care of that. Say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm putting it in your hands. And I'm not asking you. It doesn't say to go curse them. Say, God, I want you to curse them dead. I want you to smite them with blindness and strike them with a lightning bolt tonight. No, it means, all right, Lord, I'm angry. I want to kill somebody. So I'm going to get out of this frame of mind and think soberly. And I'm going to let you stand in that position. It's yours. Vengeance is yours. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Give God an opportunity to take care of that for you. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The worst thing that an enemy can do to you, to a holy person of God, that's why God says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Amen. He's talking about his anointed people, those that have the holiness of his grace upon them. He will repay in his good timing. Now what it says in verse 20, Therefore... If thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> because you got out of that place, now you've turned that over to God and you said, well, God, uh, I'm going to fit into your place, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed this guy. I'm going to pray for him because he's just despitefully using me. And Lord, I'm going to leave the wrath to you. I'm not going to get upset if you don't bring it down. In fact, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray he don't get no, revenge, no vengeance upon him. I'm going to pray that he repents. But I'm going to forgive him. When you forgive, what you're doing is letting it go. It doesn't mean you trust that person. When a person does you wrong, you know, 
I believe the turn the other cheek means strike one, strike two, third strike, let God come in as the pinch hitter. Okay? Let him hit that for you. You will heap coals of fire on his head. I got one more verse here for you. It says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The only way to fight evil is with good. Good is a total opposite of evil. When you have two powers fighting one another, they are direct opposites. To return evil is joining the devil's team. Think about it. Whose side are we on? We're on the Lord's side. So we sung that song, I'm on the battlefield for the Lord. So I'm going to conclude here now. So the purpose of holiness is to set the Christian apart for service. Not for the sake of being different, but for the purpose of Christ. Being different for a purpose, that is, our calling. And what distinguishes a Christian should not be based in pride with the glory of the self at stake, as the world distinguishes itself, but in reasonable service to God according to the measure of grace and faith that God has given us, we should make the decisions and take opportunities that God's given us, whether they be good opportunities or bad opportunities. The opportunity to excel. And you know, I had a boss one time that would always say that. He would always come in every time he had a problem. And he would say... Sergeant Stennett, I have an opportunity to excel for you. And that was code for me saying he's got a problem that he's going to dump in my lap. And here's the thing. If I took that problem and solved it, I got the reward for it. If I didn't solve it, then it was still a problem. <laughs> we can't solve everything, but we need to look at good and the bad. That's why I believe the Bible says that all things work to the good of them that love the Lord who are called according to His purpose. See, you're set apart for that purpose to win people to the Lord, to bring glory to Jesus. We're accountable for the choices we make concerning our opportunities. So, I don't think that I'm less than T.D. Jakes. I don't think I'm as good of a preacher as he is, but then I think he's got things God gave him that I don't have. And I'm not going to use them as an excuse because I'm not accountable for T.D. Jake's church. Thank God. Actually, I don't know whether I can handle it or not. I'm accountable for this church. And I believe God has given me the sufficient gifts in order to do the job here. And I'm accountable for this to do it earnestly. Use what God has given you and make no excuses for failing to take advantage of the opportunities that He's given you. 
And I close with 1 Peter 2, verse 12, because it kind of puts it together. It says, having your conversation. The word conversation doesn't mean things you're talking about. It means the life that you live. The status in life that you have. Having your conversation honest. We are to live an honest life. Among who? The Gentiles. Unbelievers. Heathen. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold. In other words, see, not eyewash, but see those things I've been talking about here tonight. And glorify God in the day of visitation. That's when God comes to visit them with his spirit and calling them to accept the Lord, to come to the knowledge of saving grace. Maybe they're not going to do it while they're still out there in the world, but they will when God visits them. But now I want to point out something here where it says, they may by your good works, the word your is italics. Normally the King James puts things in there to help clarify things. But in this case, I believe it confuses things. It's not talking about your good works because the holy person never sees his works or achievements or things that he does as his works. They're always the fruit of the Spirit. So everything you do is God's work. We can stay humble. We can give God all the glory. And that's what he's saying. Let them see the working of the Holy Ghost in you. Because the things that I brought out here tonight, church, they're not easy to do. In fact, some of them are outright impossible to do. But where it may be impossible to man, all things are possible with God. So let God work through you. And what I will do is try to exhort you and remind you of these duties, these responsibilities. And I think if we live the life that Paul is talking about here, and these are not the only things. This Paul has, has just used a few things. If we live the, the Scripture and walk in it, that's our conversation, our life, then I believe we will exemplify holiness as we go about our business.